Thank you all for being so kind and so loving. Thank you for being the great gifts that you are. I've, I've said this before, and, and it's so true. Debbie and I are the most blessed people. For God to allow us the privilege and opportunity to be able to be a part of what he's done here and a part of your lives, we wouldn't have any other way to be connected except God do it. So thank you for being such gifts. And, and I just want to thank you, honey, for all that you've done to, to make this all possible. Thank you for your love and your support and your kindness. Well, before you sit down, if you would turn and wave to somebody here, wave to the camera, to the people at home. We're glad that you joined us today and you can be seated. You can remove your masks. Um, God, is, God is such an amazing God. He allows us and invites us to live a life that is so far beyond anything we could live on our own. Um, but there are things that he indicates, he tells us, even commands us that enable us to live this amazing life. And um, his plan is always intact. It's always coming to pass. Even when we can't see it operating or working or progressing, God is still on track. God is still having his way. Um, and part of what we all know as Christians, we're, we're, I think every child of God is keenly aware that there is a revival. The Bible talks about revival that God has for these days that we're living in uh, at the end of the age. Uh, I think there's um, a knowing in our hearts, in our spirits, that this revival is, is happening as we hear of what's going on all over the world. We're aware that it's happening. But I've been sharing with you a series on unity and understanding that revival requires unity and unity requires love. And, and we've been learning about how Jesus in his prayer in John chapter 17 uh, indicated he was praying that we would be one even as he and the Father are one. Now, I don't know about you, but for me when I read that and I hear that, um, and he doesn't just say it once. He says it a number of times in this chapter uh, that we would be one as he and his father are one. Is there any closer relationship than the father and the son and the Holy Spirit have? No. Uh, they're, they're the trinity. There's nothing that divides them. They are supportive of each other. They're loving of each other. Uh, they are, are working together. And yet that's what God, the Lord Jesus Christ, prayed that we would have. Now, Think about that. When, when I think about that, we all know people in the body of Christ that we're, we're drawn to, we're, we associate with, we want to be around. But we also know people in the body of Christ that we don't really want to be around that much. Yes? Come on, we're in church, admit it. Uh, we, 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 we just don't, don't connect the way we we do with other people. And yet Jesus is praying that we would connect with those people that we don't see a need for as well as we connect with people that we have such an affinity for. And, and so when I look at that, I say, God, I don't know how this can happen. You're going to have to help me. And that's what he does. He does help us. He helps us connect the way he has for us to connect. It's a supernatural work of God in natural people that allow him to have his way. And we've been learning about this, and we're going to look more at this today because we're finding out that unity is the key to revival. And the key to unity is love. And love has certain characteristics that we can actually recognize in our own life are we are we walking in these characteristics that Christ has for us so that we can walk in love and we can be connected with God and with one another so that the world because that's what Jesus said Jesus said I pray that they would be one as you and I are one so that the world would know and believe that you sent me see that's the revival but it happens because of the unity of us the world sees what they couldn't see any other way and in this, we, we have a part to play. And how many of you know that when we are saved, we have a freedom now that we've never had before. We have a freedom to choose what we want to do or what we don't want to do. And God will never force his will on us. 
But when we choose God's will, it's always best for us and always best that God is able to work in us, through us, to those around us. And this morning we're going to go on a little farther in this and just see what it, what it really is like when we're walking in love. But before we do, we're going to pray. So if you just bow your heads here, bow your heads at home. And the reason why I ask you to do that is just kind of just make yourself available to God. I'm going to pray, but you can, you can speak to God too. He hears us all. And it's, it's, it's just us inviting him to speak to our lives and our circumstances and situations because whatever he reveals to you today, and there's something for you today, not everything, but something for you today to take away, to be able to incorporate in our lives and practice in our lives to, to bring the life that God has for us to us and through us to all those around us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your plan that you have set is for good with a future and a hope. Thank you for the person of Holy Spirit that you have indwelt us by. Father, we thank you for the power that you make available and the provision that's abundant. Father, today we need to hear from you. And Father, I thank you for allowing me the privilege to be able to speak to your beloved, the, your bride, Lord, the body of Christ. Uh, I thank you that you said your word would be a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet, that there would be revelation that would cause transformation in our life, that your word is truth that sets captives free, that your word is life and health to those who find it. Father, we thank you for healings here and those at home as your word goes forth. And Father, we thank you that we will be more yielded to you, more aware of you, and more in line with you today than we've ever been as we continue to progress and grow in your grace and in your knowledge. We thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. So Jesus' prayer is a, a chapter long in John, but we find out the Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians writes about this unity. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 14, we have it in the ERV and the NIV, or NLT, uh, he says, together with these things, speaking about the preceding verses that we're going to get to today, the most important part of your new life is to love each other. Love is what holds everything together in perfect what? Unity. So it's saying, in that essence, the unity that the Father and Son have can be known by us. We can be united in that perfect unity as we choose to live this life of love. Live this life of love. It's the most important thing. Then the New Living Translation says it this way. Above all, clothe yourselves with what? Love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. Now, we've got perfect unity and perfect harmony. One of the things that, that is important for us to see is when it says harmony, harmony is talking about diversity that is so interconnected that it adds to a fullness that none of those individual parts would know on its own. So perfect harmony, perfect unity. But the, the New Living Translation says, clothe yourselves with love. We talked about this last week. We talked about clothing. Uh, we talked about the fact that this morning when you got up, or maybe you did the night before. I usually do it the night before. I, I determine what I'm going to wear. I usually pass it by Debbie to see if, it, if it's okay that I don't look too crazy. And uh, then when I get up in the morning, I have to put that on. I made the decision what I was going to wear. Then I made the effort to put it on. And fortunately for you, I've kept it on. <laughs> All right? Uh, but, but we clothe ourselves. We do this. But this says clothe yourself with love. Clothing can tell you a lot about a person. Right? A type of clothing is a uniform. Who wears uniforms? Okay, hang on. I need your participation. I need help. All right? So I'm going to ask questions, and I, I, I really am looking for input. So who wears uniforms? Police, military, fire people, paramedics, airline. How about, how about if you go into Best Buy, do you know who's working there? How do you know that? Because they're wearing a uniform. So uniforms are important. What, are they, what, what do uniforms do? 
yeah, you, you, the, there's a connection. You see all the people that are part of the team. You also are very aware of who they are, what they do. You know, if I'm walking into Best Buy, I've done this in, in various places because I'm just not as observant as maybe I should be. But I'll walk in and I'll have some questions and I'll start talking to this person over here that I think is part of the team at the store. And they'll be like, what are you talking to me for? I'm here shopping too. <laughs> but, but you look and you see, you identify. It's a quick identifier. Do you know that love is a quick identifier for us? Supposed to be. Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by what? Your love one for another. When we walk in love, it quickly identifies us. We should never have to tell people we're Christians. You know, I'm sure we're going to get to heaven and you're going to be shocked by some people there. That shouldn't be. Now, hopefully they're not shocked that you're there. All right? They should see God's love in, in you and know, man, that's a child of the Most High God. That's a child of God who's loved because they walk in love. But the other part of a uniform, and I, I heard it over here from Francine, uh, uniforms, military wear uniforms. Why do they wear uniforms? To identify them, but it's also to enable them to do the job they're supposed to do. In the first service, we had Mark Kohlbrenner sitting here, and he was talking about having a uniform. He didn't have to worry about what he was going to wear in the morning. He was a fireman, and so he would get up and put his uniform on. But there are various parts to his uniform. He, when he went to a fire, would have to put on the gear that was fit for the fire because what did that gear do for him? protected him. And I want you to understand that uniforms not only are a quick identifier, but they're also a protection and a provision, as well as our uniform is. Our uniform, our identifier is that we are to walk in love. We're to clothe ourselves with love. It identifies us as Christians. If I've got to tell somebody I'm a Christian, then I'm probably not doing a real good job of following Christ. But it also is a protection. This love that, that we're supposed to clothe ourselves with protects us. And, and today we're going to look at that. We're going to see how it does protect us because there, there is a necessity to be protected. How many of you know in this world bad things happen to good people? Right? I don't have to tell you that. We, we battle this, all of us battle this at various times. But we looked at this last week in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. It says this, most important of all, there it is again. Continue to show deep love for who? Each other. It's talking about the body of Christ. But we also know that the word of God tells us we're supposed to love our enemies. We're supposed to love those that use us and, and persecute us. We're, we're supposed to love everybody we come in contact with regardless of whether they are believers or unbelievers. But the only ones we can unite with are believers. And this tells us we're to continue to show deep love to each other for love what? covers a multitude of sin. Love covers a multitude of sins. Now, this isn't the big biblical cover-up. What this is talking about, and we found this out last week, the importance of what love does in covering, does it say one or two sins? No, it's multitude of sins. And these are not your sins. These are the sins of others that have been perpetrated on you. Has anybody here had anybody sin against them? I know, obvious question, but think about it. When somebody does something ungodly to you, let's, let's just talk about anger, all right? As a believer, can you get angry? Yeah, but anger isn't a sin. The Bible says be angry and sin not. But when I become angry and then I act on that anger, I'm no longer being directed by God or by love. I'm allowing anger to direct me, and, and I'm choosing to follow what that anger evokes in me. All right? We all know what that's like. And so when I become angry, I may lash out and, and speak things or, or do things that injure somebody or irritate somebody. Now think about that. When that happens, believers can do that to you. Unbelievers can do that to you. But what are you going to do with what they've done? If, if I'm not operating the way God has for me, if I'm not submitted to the Spirit, relying on God and the grace of God, 
what am I probably going to do? If somebody just gets angry with me, starts yelling at me, if I'm disregarding God, which every one of us can do at any time in any circumstance, what would I likely do to that person that just got angry with me? <laughs> Punch him. Uh, no, I, I, I've, I've not done that for a long time. But uh, yeah, be angry back. What we tend to do is give back what we just got. Right? But we up it a little bit. We elevate it. We, we, we just want them to know this is not a good thing to do again. We don't want you to do it. So we're going to give them what they gave and a little more. And if that happens, what's the likelihood that they're going to do in return to us? Yeah, Bill said twice as bad. What they're going to do is they're going to give back to us what they got and add theirs to it. So what happens is we start going like this. And we eventually get to the place where the anger is so over the top that there's very little likelihood of any connection even between Christians. And our connection is eternal. Why would we let a temporary thing break an eternal connection? Because we're falling prey to the enemy's tactics. Because the enemy is behind division. And what the enemy wants, Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. What the enemy wants, in that same verse, it says he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. The moment I operate or I respond, not the way God wants in love, but I respond in like kind, I'm missing the mark of God, which is sin. And what does sin pay off? Death. Sin brings death. Can sin bring death in a Christian's life? Oh, no, I'm a Christian. Yes, sin is sin. The wages of sin is death. If a Christian sins, there's some sort of death working. The enemy's trying to steal, kill, or destroy. And so I've got to make that choice. Am I going to get crossways to God or am I going to line up with God? Am I going to give in kind or am I going to give the way God wants me to give? How am I going to respond? And understanding this, that my response is not a natural, it's a supernatural response. I'm supposed to walk in love towards everybody, which means I have to walk the way God has for me to walk. And we think, well, that's impossible. We, we, we just talked about, we sang about uh, God, impossible things being done. With God, what's possible? Except... No, there's no, no exceptions. All things are possible with God and with those who believe. And that's where we have in residence, he has come to live in us, God himself in the person of Holy Spirit who floods our hearts with the love of God. Every situation, there's more than enough love God provides for us to be able to walk in love towards another person, whatever they've done. Or I can disregard and set aside what God is providing for me and do my own thing. But then I miss out on what God has planned and prepared that's going to work out for good. And I'm going to get into that area of sin. But love covers a multitude of sins. That's where when the sin comes at you, there's something that God has for you to do. And when it says it covers, it means to wrap around. How many of you know when you get hurt by the sin somebody else has perpetrated on you, there's, there's an irritation, there's an injury, and if we don't deal with it, it's going to continue. It's like a splinter. I don't know the last time you had a splinter. Uh, I'm, you know, pretty prone to that. And if I don't deal with it, if I don't either take it out, my body starts to react to it. And it becomes more and more sensitive. People are becoming more and more sensitive because they're not dealing with the things that are irritating or injuring them. And we as Christians have no excuse. We're supposed to walk in love and that love covers. And when it wraps it around or encases it or surrounds it, all of a sudden... It begins to change from what it was to what God can do with that. God works all things for what? Good. For good. Well, not this injury, 
Not this irritation. Yes, that. That's why love covers a multitude of sin. Because when we walk in love, when we allow the love of God to fill our lives and we experience the sin against us that we do, we don't react in kind. We choose to love. We choose to surround that irritation or that injury like an oyster. Last week I talked to you about oysters. We're supposed to be like oysters. When an irritation or something that injures them comes into them, they begin to secrete a fluid that begins to surround that irritation or that thing that's injuring them, and it puts a layer on it. And over the course of time, over the course of years, that becomes a pearl. And what do we think about pearls? Well, maybe you say, I don't think anything about them, I don't care. But they're considered a precious stone. They're the only ones that are created outside of the ground. And it's created by an animal, an ugly animal. If an ugly animal can do that, what do you think we can do with God? Right? But it becomes these things that were meant to injure, to irritate, to take you out of the path that God has become this priceless pearl that you have in your life that becomes valuable not just to you, not just to God, but to all the people around you. But how, how does this happen? How do we do this? Well, today we're going to look. We're going to look at scriptures that go, are going to reveal to us how we surround these irritations, these injuries that's, that people sin against us with so that we too can experience the blessing and the abundant life that God has for us and also stay connected in the body of Christ to show the unity so that the revival in the world will occur. People will be drawn to Jesus because they see us not acting like everybody else does. So today we're going to look in the preceding verses in Colossians chapter 12 and 13 that give us an indication of what we're supposed to surround these things with. When this sin comes, how do we cover it with love? In the ERV uh, translation, it says, God has chosen you and made you his holy people. He loves you. Now, who's he talking about? Well, I'll tell you. Obviously, we're, we're in a little quandary. He's talking about you. He's talking about you at home. He's talking about all his children, those that, are, those that will be. He loves you. And, and he has chosen you and made you holy. So your new life should be like this. Show mercy to others. Be kind, humble, gentle, and patient. Don't be angry with each other, but forgive each other. If you feel someone has wronged you, forgive them. Forgive others because. All right, here, here it tells us why we're supposed to do it. Because you feel like you want to forgive them. Right? No, because the Lord forgave you. Doesn't the Bible say what we freely receive, we're supposed to freely what? Give. And, and when did God forgive us? You know, we're supposed to forgive, but I'm waiting for him to ask me to forgive him. Is that, that how God forgave us? He waited for us to ask him? No, he forgave us before we ever knew we did anything wrong. Before we ever ask for forgiveness. That's how we're supposed to forgive others that same way. But it starts out and it says, show mercy to others. Now, when we talk about mercy, mercy is a wonderful thing. We all want it, but we struggle giving it. Hello? Right? If you do something wrong, how do you want people to react to you? Mercifully, right? They want, you want them to give you the benefit of the doubt. Mercy is, is really a very simple definition is not giving you what you deserve, all right? If, if somebody's merciful, and we see it throughout the Bible where people were asking for mercy. I was driving down the road and, and uh, I, I got pulled over by a policeman. You know what I wanted? I wanted mercy. I didn't want to get what I deserved. Because I was exceeding the speed limit. Now, I'm not talking about I did this last week. This was years ago. I just haven't gotten caught recently, but I'm doing much better. <laughs> but this policeman pulled me over, and he came up, and, and he said, I want your license and registration. And at that moment, I'm just praying, God, let him be merciful, let him be merciful, let him be merciful. And uh, <clears throat> he said, 
Do you know why I pulled you over? Am I going to lie? I wanted to, but I said, yeah, I know why you pulled me over. I was going faster than the speed limit. I'm not sure what it was, but I'm sure I was going faster than the speed limit. He said, you were. And it was quite a bit over the speed limit. And then he left and went back to his car. And he came back and he had a ticket for me. And I had to sign the ticket. And he said, by the way, where are you going in such a hurry? I said, well, I, you know, I'm kind of late. The guys at the church were all going down to this, this meeting. And I was just picking up some stuff for them because I'm the pastor. The guy's face turned white. He said, why didn't you tell me this before I wrote you the ticket? I said, because you were doing the right thing and I was doing the wrong thing and I deserved a ticket. He said, no, my day's going to be terrible because I wrote a ticket for a pastor. I said, no, it's not going to be terrible. You're upholding the law. That's what God has for you to do. I should have been abiding by the law and I wasn't. So you're doing your job. I appreciate you doing it. And he just looked at me and it was one of those tilt looks. I said, listen, I'm going to pray for you. God's going to bless you. You're doing good. Don't worry about it. But that's where I wanted mercy. I didn't get it. But God wants us to be merciful. And doesn't the Bible say what you sow is what you'll what? Reap. I want mercy. I know I am going to need mercy in the future. And it's not my sole motivation, but I know that God says I'm supposed to be merciful. So I am trying to show mercy to people all the time. And I know that, that just because of the principle of sowing and reaping, that I will get treated mercifully. By everyone? No. But the only one I want to really be treated by, mercifully by is God. And he will. But this is where we're supposed to be Showing mercy to others, not giving them what they deserve. But that's not natural. It's not what comes to us just normally. We want to give them what they deserve. And God says, don't give them what they deserve. Be merciful. Be loving. Because what that's going to do, that's going to immediately cause them to take notice. Because that's not what they're getting most places, most situations. But they should be from us. In, in the NIV translation, it says this. I think it's the NIV. Yep. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and, and dearly loved, clothe yourself. Here it is again. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if you have any grievance against anyone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So this uses the word compassion. The word compassion uh, is... is Defined as being aware of and considerate of another person's pain, struggle, challenge, or misfortune. We don't know what people are going through. But the world knows enough to say a phrase, hurting people what? Hurt people. If somebody's hurting you, likelihood is they're hurting and you don't know it. We don't know what anybody's going through. We all sit here, you're at home, we interact with each other, and, and we put on our best front. But, you know, there are things that people are really struggling with, really struggling with, and you don't know it. And it may be that you catch them on a bad day, a difficult day, something just happened. One of the things that happens here at the church all the time is we'll get calls of people who come in and say, you know what, I'm really struggling, I need help. And, and they want to be encouraged. They want to know that they're not going through something alone. And so we're standing with them, we're praying for them. But when you care about somebody, your heart goes out to them. And, and you kind of walk that out with them. And it has, you know, it can have an effect on you. And, and so there are times that I'm, I'm or the staff, we're, we're here and we're struggling because we know what somebody else is going through and we're just standing with them. And we may get a call right after that one where somebody's had a real breakthrough and they're like, I just wanted to tell you this is so great. And the Bible says we're supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. But sometimes we don't rejoice as much with those people because we're still connected with the ones that are struggling and you know, somebody could be offended by that. They could be irritated or, or injured by that. 
Well, I called and they weren't real excited. I thought they'd be more excited. Well, at that moment, at that moment, there needs to be some compassion. We need to surround that disappointment, that irritation, that injury that occurred because we didn't get what we wanted or what we expected, but we also didn't realize, you know, they were going through something. Somebody's going through something. I can't tell you how many times I've had people that have indicated to me somebody expected them to to respond in a certain way, but they were really struggling and they didn't respond that way and all of a sudden there's a division between them. The enemy will use anything we allow him to use to divide us, to rob from us, to keep the world from seeing Jesus in us. And, and that's, that's just part of it. But compassion, compassion, and today we're going to talk about compassion and kindness because compassion is something that we don't see a lot in our society. You know, we, 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 we sang this morning. God was setting us up with one of the songs, Unstoppable God. We sang strong in compassion and kindness. God is strong in compassion and kindness. And if we're going to be followers of Christ, we need to be strong in compassion and kindness. We need to not give what we want to give. We got to give what God's given us. Compassion, mercy, and kindness. And, and Jesus throughout the New Testament, it, it is written and we see in Scripture where he was moved with compassion. There was a, a multitude of people that he looked on and was moved with compassion and he healed their, their, their sick. There was another time that Jesus was, <clears throat> was moved with compassion when two blind men came to him. He looked on them, saw their need. He was moved with compassion and he healed them. There was another time where there was a multitude of people and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. He was moved with compassion. He began to teach. Now, there's always something that benefits when that compassion is experienced by Jesus. He healed. He began to teach. And later on, that group that he was teaching, he fed. But we're going to look at a specific one in Luke chapter 15. I'm sorry. Let me go back. I've lost my place. Hmm. Oh, Mark chapter 1. In Mark chapter 1, we see Jesus interacting with, with a leper. I'm sorry, Mark chapter 1, verse 41 and 42. We have that one? Thanks, John. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneel, kneeling down to him, saying to him, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him. Now, he stretched out his hand to a leopard and touched him. That leopard, they, he didn't know if that leprosy was contagious, but it didn't matter. He was moved with compassion. He did what his father had for him to do. He stretched out his hand and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. If there was no compassion there, if Jesus didn't recognize or, or really listen, was Jesus busy? Yeah, demands all the time. And we see in the midst of a demand, other demands being made, but this compassion was in him. He cared about people. He connected with people. And then he did something about it. And right here, he cleansed this leper because of compassion. There's not much compassion in the world that we live in. People are walled up and isolated. They're, they're distancing themselves because, quite frankly, most people are on overload hearing about what's going on with so many different people. And it, you and I as Christians have to work to maintain the compassion that God has for us to be compassionate about other people. And he was compassionate. Not only was he compassionate, and we read this through a variety of, of the Gospels about how he responded. He was compassionate then. But he, he also taught about compassion, about kindness. And, and we're aware of this. Many of you know the story of of uh, 
the lost son, the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Uh, there are three parables that he tells, one about a lost coin, uh, there's, and then there's the lost son. And the prodigal son is a story about a father who embraces his son. But that's where, when we see the story, we see something that I think we can all relate to. And that is this, this son has gone to his father and said, I want my inheritance. And what he's saying to his dad is, I don't care about you. All I care about is what you can give me. He took his inheritance and he left. And, and the story goes that he spent it on all sorts of things and he became poor again and all his friends left him because they were only there because of the inheritance that he had. And in that moment, the Bible says he came to himself and he said, I'm going to get back to my father's house because the servants in my father's house have more than I have. And I don't deserve to be a son anymore, but I'm going to go back as a servant and ask him to hire me. And so he, he begins to go back and return to his father. And we pick this up. In verse 20, and he arose and he came to his father. Sorry. Verse 20, there we go. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The Bible goes on to say that there is a healing, a healing of, of the rift between the son and the father. There is a restoration. He was restored to not being a servant, a son. But in this we see when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and ran to him. This is an indication, and it says he had compassion on him, that that didn't happen in that moment. He was looking for him. There was compassion that already had been given. There was mercy that had already been offered to the son that the son didn't know about, but the father had embraced. There had been a healing of the father's heart because when, when somebody says to you, all I want is what you can give me, and when you can't give me any more, I'm leaving, that feels pretty much like being used, doesn't it? And there's not any one of us that want to be used. But this man had been used by his son, and now his son was returning. And if, if he acted in the natural, he just would have said, you know, get out of here. You got what you wanted. You wasted it, and I'm not going to waste any more on you. But he was compassionate. He was merciful. And then he became kind because he restored him. And it says he ran. When he saw him a long ways off, he was looking for his son's return. That shows me there was something that had already gone on. Love had already occurred in this man's heart for his son because he was looking for him. And he ran to him. And he didn't run to him the way we might, if we didn't walk in love, run to him to deck him, to tell him off, to tell him to stay away. He ran to him and grabbed him and hugged him. And we don't understand this, but because what this indicates to the people of that time, men did not run. It was not dignified. They never did that. But this man did not care about what people thought of him. He cared about his son. God wants us to care about other people, not care what other people think care about other people, be compassionate with other people and, and restore them, build the bridges, not the walls. Another story that Jesus, a parable Jesus taught was the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. Now, you know the story. There was a man that came to him and said, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus asked him, what's the great commandment? And the man responded, Love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, yes, do that. And the man said, well, and he was trying to set up Jesus to entrap him. Who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells this, this parable about a certain Samaritan and, and how there was a man that was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was Jewish. He got taken out by thieves. They stripped him. They robbed him. They left him for dead. And there came a priest down the road. 
He looked at him and he passed over on the other side. Then there was a Levite. He looked at him, he passed over on the other side. And then he said, there was a Samaritan. And in verse 33, it tells us what, what happened with the Samaritan. It says a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. Now, this is a Jewish man and a Samaritan. The thing you and I need to know is they were enemies. Jews thought Samaritans were dogs and worthless, and the Samaritans didn't have any love for the Jews. But here they are, enemies, people that are at odds with each other, and the Samaritan came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had what? Compassion. The first thing he did, he saw him, he went to him, where the other one saw him and went away from him, which is what most people do in our society today. They don't want to get involved. But this man who had been at odds, he was walking in a way that we're supposed to walk, and he had compassion on him. And the story goes that he went to him, he bound up his wounds, he put him on his own donkey, he took him to an inn, he took care of him for days, then he left the inn because he had to continue on his journey, and he told the innkeeper, take care of him, left him money, take care of him, whatever he needs, get to him, and if it costs more than what I've given you, I'll pay you when I come back through. Wow. This is walking in love. I'm telling you, if I had been there and I saw this happening with a Samaritan and his enemy, I would, I would start to think about the Samaritan. What's this man all about? What, how, how, this is the kind of person I want to be around because if he'll do this for enemies, what will he do for friends? Hello? See, when we walk in love, it draws people to us, but not really to us because they're being drawn to the love. They're being drawn to God. And he wasn't allowing the animosity. He wasn't allowing the things that had gone on before that could have injured him or irritated him about how the Jews thought about him. He was covering it over with compassion and then with kindness. And all of a sudden, this thing that was just a train wreck became such a precious gem to not only the Samaritan, to God, but to this man. And just think about this man's family that got, got beaten up and robbed. What do you think that did for them? And others, when they watch this happen, I'm telling you, this is, this is how God has for us to walk in love, that we would comp be compassionate, we would be kind. Whatever injury, whatever irritation, we start to encase that irritation, that injury with compassion and kindness. How many of you know when you do kind things to other people, it does something to you? Something good or something bad? Right, something good. And that's where... We don't do it for the good, but it happens when we do the good. There's a healing that starts. It's less of an irritation. It's less of an injury. And all of a sudden, it's not just less of. It is a treasure. A gift. A gift to us, a gift to God, a gift to others. And people are being drawn together, drawn towards that love, drawn towards God, which is what we're here to do. It goes on to say that in verse 36, uh, the man says, you know, he, he hears all this. And Jesus says, so which of these three do, do you think was the neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And the man responded, he who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Jesus is telling us, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. We have no, no excuse, no ability to uh, disengage ourselves unless we're going to ignore what God has for us. This is what is going to cause revival. We're going to walk in love. Revival requires love. Love requires compassion, kindness, humility, patience, forgiveness, 
We're going to go over some more of these, and we're going to see next week one of the most important aspects of this because we can't walk in these things unless this, this characteristic is a part of our life. But I told you a few weeks ago that, that Debbie and I had been away, and we had come back, and we had experienced a miracle. And uh, what actually happened was we, we had gone to Disney World. Now, what's, what's Disney World associated with? What's the phrase? The happiest place on earth, okay? And it's, it's a great place. It's not the happiest place I've ever found on earth, but I'm sure other people think that. But here's what happened. We were supposed to go a year before, but because of COVID, it closed down and we couldn't go. Our son was inviting us, Debbie and myself, as he and his two children and his wife and his wife's parents to go to Disney, but also his ex-wife. Now, hear the story out. Our son got married, had a child, and that child was born prematurely. A lot of stressors. He was in the Navy. He was deployed. He came back from deployment and found out his wife no longer wanted to be married. There was a divorce. Now, I want you to know God hates divorce. He doesn't hate divorced people. He hates divorce because of the pain that goes on in every person. And when we were going through that, there was a custody battle for Tristan, their son. And, and as we went through that, it was one of the most painful things we have ever experienced in our life. But guess what? It wasn't just our pain. Our son was in pain. His ex-wife was in pain. Our grandson was in pain. His ex-wife's family was in pain. There is no lack of pain in these things. Because the enemy is going to get as much mileage out of it as he can. And, and going through the custody battles, our son got primary custody. We celebrated that, but think of the pain that Tristan's mom went through when that happened. Now, I will tell you firsthand, I saw. And I can only speak to what I saw initially because it was the only thing I could see. But I watched our son, who is a, a strong believer, and, and his mother, my wife, walk in such compassion, being aware of the pain and, and of the struggle that his ex-wife was going through and the kindness that was shown. And all of this came to the place where there was an ability to reconnect. Brandon got remarried and had this little girl, Elin, our granddaughter. So he has Tristan with his former wife, Elin with his wife, and has invited his ex-wife to go to Disney so she can watch her son experience something that he was so looking forward to. I'm telling you, this is a miracle. Because Debbie and I would walk behind this group of our son, his wife, daughter, son, ex-wife, his current wife's parents, and everybody is being kind to each other. There was such a kindness, such a, a, a compassion that his ex-wife would show to his wife and honor to his wife. And it was just, it was supernatural. There is nothing better because there's nothing worse when people aren't getting along. There's nothing better when people can connect. And to see this happen because of the compassion and, and the kindness, the love that was shown. And I have to tell you, it's not done. Brandon's ex-wife has told my wife, you're like a mother to me. She has called and asked if Debbie could go with her to different things. There is a connection that normally, normally, humanly speaking, would never happen except for love. She has been loving towards them. They have been loving towards her. There is a testimony and a show of God in this situation that is rarely, if ever, seen. And it was because people chose not to give what naturally you'd give.
chose to walk in love, compassion, and kindness. And I'm telling you, I am so blessed. But it's not just for me. This is what God has for all of us. To walk in this supernatural love, to have supernatural unity where the enemy has meant for everybody to experience damage and destruction. And we need to let God have his way, amen? We need to decrease that he would increase that people would see a God who is loving and who works lovingly in us and through us, amen? amen. Praise God, praise God. <clears throat> But that's not going to happen unless we connect with God. And it's not just the initial connection where we turn our lives over to Christ, but we let Christ rule and guide and govern and guard us everywhere we go. Love, that's who God is. Let that love be experienced in your life and others by these two characteristics and the one we're, ones we're going to learn about because these are all part of it. Amen? But the first connection is, is the most important, connecting with God. And if you've never given your life to the Lord, if you've never turned and entrusted your life to Christ, today I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And we're all going to pray together here, and you can pray at home. But I'd like you to just bow your heads and know that God is, is right here. He's listening and he wants. He's been waiting for, for everyone to turn to him and allow him to come in and begin to heal, to redeem, to restore. And so let's pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who came into this earth, lived a sinless life, willingly went to the cross, and died for my sins and was raised from the dead glorious and victorious. Today, Lord Jesus, I come to you. I trust my life to you. I ask you to forgive me, cleanse me, come into my life and be Lord of my life. From this day forward, I am yours, you are mine. Thank you, Jesus, for being Lord, my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer here or you prayed it online, please let somebody know. If you prayed it online, go to our website, reslightny.org. Go down to where the prayer requests are. Let us know that you prayed. If you want us to be able to pray for you by name, give us your name. If you want us to contact you, give us some sort of contact information, a phone number, an email, whatever it is, so that somebody can get a hold of you this week. But know that we're, none of us are doing this alone. God's always there, and he cares, and he wants us to be able to not just be impacted by him, but impact others. Amen? Hallelujah. Before, before you 